Welcome back, creeps. Meow. Welcome to the first episode in a long time. Hey, y'all. We're still alive. Almost a month. And also thanks to those who did actually reach out, wondering where we are okay. I always just assume that everybody listens to us on, or follows us on Instagram, which is where we post 99% mm -hmm. of our stuff because neither of us really use Facebook. Um, but yeah, basically, I just I started a new job and the schedule's a bit more intense than my last job. and uh, A lot more intense. A lot more intense, yeah. You're working like 10 hour days? Yeah, like 11 hour days. 11 hour I mean, days. I have to sit there for an hour. Anyway. Um, 11 hour days, yeah. Yeah, so it was just a bit of a... Uh, I, I figured I would like just try and force myself to keep going with this. But anyway, I couldn't. So... Here we are, and I'm hoping that this is us getting back on track now. I'm a lot more used to the new schedule, so yeah, that's it. So thanks for all the feedback from our AI episode, because everybody seemed to really enjoy that one. It's fun. It was a fun one. It was. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was lighthearted, not heavy. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good time. It was, and we'll definitely do a couple of them for Patreon in the next few weeks. Um. And yeah, also check out Patreon for the latest episode that we did just do, which was actually recorded a month ago, but I only managed to edit it that last week. So it came out, I think, on Saturday or something. Yeah. So if you want to see it, join the Patreon. But yeah, since then, we haven't really been up to a whole lot. Actually, that's not true at all. <laughs> it's been really busy. Yeah, I have. Um, like, what was it? Um, I was helping Mimi with her makeup for prom. We went away to Galveston for that weekend. Yeah. Um, your work, my work. I've been <laughs> I've been playing Persona Five Royal. Roll credits today. Which means she finished the game, which is after taking months and months and months. I started playing this in February. Jesus. And I'm finally finished. It's fucking May, dude. Yeah, and other than that, we actually had. I think when this comes out. The other episode will already be out. But yeah, we like we're on an episode of the Ghost Story guys. I was doing other stuff that I'm pretty excited about that hopefully will start Oh yeah. Manifesting in the next few probably the next few months, honestly. It's gonna be a little bit of a longer project. Um Yeah, we did do that. That was fun. They're really nice guys. Oh yeah, Brendan and Paul, they're absolutely lovely. And we also met up with Haunted AF down in Galveston. Yeah, that's that's our weekend away. Yeah, which was like very last minute. They actually just put up for like a fan meet and greet thing. And we were like... Let's oh, roll up. Yeah, we like Galveston anyway. Yeah. And... Uh, we, had, we ate at the Rainforest Cafe while we were there. Yeah, it's a real classy place. <laughs> um, the food was great. Try the shrimp tacos. And yeah, other than that, um, I have ordered fresh stickers. So we will be rolling them out as soon as they come in. Mm -hmm. um, we'll probably do something similar to the last time where like, you know, you leave us a nice review and we'll send you out a sticker or something along those lines. Yeah. They're taking a little bit longer than expected, but they will be here in the next few weeks. And I'm sure there's something else that we're forgetting. Do you have a tarot card for All day, every day, baby. Today's card... That's right. I remember you. Today's card is the Six of Swords. Today's message. You don't have to do everything yourself today. 
you are not alone. There are people that care about you. Reach out and ask for help. It's amazing how comforting a little support can feel. Wow. Wow. That is very nice. I actually had like a really weird experience earlier when I was getting your coffee. Mm. I pulled up behind the uh, the Duncan, like the Duncan by us, as some of our listeners know. Um, you pull up in the back of it and then like drive around to the drive through. And this dude was standing there with two dogs and he looked like well put together and like an average dude or whatever. But I seen him like shouting at a car. So I was like, what the fuck? But like, he didn't seem menacing or anything. So as I was pulling up, he started shouting at me. So I was like, all right, maybe he's like going to tell me like, hey, don't go around here like this cops. So I don't know, like anything. And, uh, and, you know, I've got all those drugs in my car. Yeah. So. <laughs> but no, I, I was just being nosy. I was like, what is he shouting about? And he starts talking about like, hey, me and my wife were hit by a drunk driver last night. Um, You know, like he was asking for money, basically. But he launched into this story that was so dense that I literally didn't even have a minute to like break in and be like, I'm sorry, I don't have any cash, which I didn't anyway. And he just kept going. He was like, look, I'm a ranger. I was on in service. I came back. I have like plates and screws in my head. And I was like, and my newborn's in the hospital and they won't let us get her back. But the tow truck company took like $1,700 from us. So we have no money. A cop gave us $42. So we got into this motel because we got turned away at this hotel down the street, which is more expensive. And that's when we found out that the tow truck company gave us on. And I was like, dude, I like I felt really bad. And he, but the, the weird, like, there was weird things. Like, he kept telling me, he's like, my wife, my wife is white and my kids are mixed. Like, as if that would make me go, oh, okay, now I'll give you money. Like, so there were, it was like a 95% of a really cohesive story, but then like 5% of like, oh, I don't know if this guy is playing me or not. Or if he's high on drugs. Yeah, like, he's, he didn't seem like he was, but... By the time, like, eventually, anyway, I was like, look, I I, don't, I feel bad, but I have nothing to give you anyway. And he was like, look, my, my kids haven't eaten or anything. Like, just buy them, like, a dozen donuts in. I don't care. So I was like, okay, I guess I could do that. But then, like, as I drove around, like, there's other homeless people all over the place because this is Houston, like. But they're clearly homeless. And I was like, oh, man, like, how do you decide, like, you know what I mean, who gets what? And then I was like, oh, I'm just going to get away from here. And when I come back later, if he's still here, then I'll go get him something. And he wasn't anyway. But I was like, is this like a common like scam thing? Because yeah. that was the other thing I was thinking. I was like, I don't just want to be, you know, mugged for my, not literally mugged. I mean, like, I don't want to fall for this scam and then like feel like an idiot because it's like, oh, you can't believe you gave your money to that guy. Yeah. But literally all day, my brain has just been like at war with itself mm -hmm. if that happened in dublin i probably would have had a much better read on the guy mm -hmm. and i would have at least bought him food yeah you know what i mean yeah or like enough food for three or four people or whatever like because it literally would have been like 30 dollars. you know what i mean like yeah. at dunkin donuts like but because there was that five percent of like he could be insane yeah Not that there's anything wrong with that yeah but yeah and it's literally been eating me well, if he, if he really is, was in need, or if he was high on drugs, either way, the person's not in a good way. So if you would have done it, it would have been fine. That's the thing. Yeah. Because as I was thinking about it later, I was like, 
But that doesn't mean just because you didn't do it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Yeah, because my other way then, as I was driving away, there was there's that veteran lady who sits there. Yeah, that like we assume is a veteran. Like I'm not sh- I distrusting mean, her sign. Like right, you know I mean? like she is in the same place every, every day. day. Yeah, so we know that she's obviously homeless or in need because people don't sit there in the bleep like in the, the heat in the Houston heat yeah. for pleasure. You know what I mean? But yeah, no, it was something about him anyway. Just stuck out and like really affected my day yeah well i mean that's pro i mean i'm i'm i don't want to get all woo woo about it but like if there's a little voice in your head telling you like danger yeah and you're probably interpreting it as scam like you maybe he probably we don't know but you it's probably a good thing that you listen to the little voice in your head yeah and then like not to tie that into a paranormal subject or anything like that but it did make me feel like you know those people who are like actual alien abductees or contactees yeah and it's like oh i'm a doctor so it's like okay cool i trust you now and this is your story and that and then they'll say like but these aliens taught me telekinesis and they're like oh okay nuts or it's like, like the, where is that fine line you know what i mean or like the fairy king like the fairy king yeah exactly yeah. anyway there's a weird little tangent but i felt like basically i just feel still feel like really shitty for not giving him anything listen but i did go back looking for him yeah and he wasn't there yeah and that's not your fault yeah you can only do what you can and you clearly you know are a good person because you feel remorse despite whether this person was a scammer or not i wouldn't lose sleep over it yeah because at the end of the day he did say his bank transfer is going to clear by monday so he just needed like, and this was the other thing. It was the spe- specificity of the numbers that he kept saying to me that actually threw me off. Yeah. So like the cop gave me $26, but that's only, no, the cop gave me $32, but I still need another $26 because I have a check that's like $108 that's going to clear. So I was like, okay, this is weird. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then he also gave me like the exact number of screws and plates in his head. Huh. And this is literally in 60 seconds. Yeah, well, clearly the guy's in a bad way. I don't yeah, know. yeah. But his dogs are in really good shape. Yeah. They're like well-groomed dogs. Anyway, um, moving on. But it does seem weird. Kind of like your coworker who like thought it was important to like know the ethnicity of his ex-girlfriends. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why does that even matter? Like, yeah. does that give you points because you're white? I th- well, that and the girl that he was hitting on was black. Uh-huh. But that's a good point because this dude was black and he kept telling me, like assuring me, like my wife is white. As if it was important. Yeah, as if then I would turn around and go, oh, excuse me. Oh, she's one of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was a really weird and like I didn't have any coffee. I was 11. And so my brain was already like, if everything felt like I was in a fucking dream or something, (laughs) it was just not, it was just a weird morning. Yeah. Anyway, not all episodes start out like this. So if you're new here apologies yeah he just needed to talk it out okay yeah i really did um anyway when i actually wrote this episode or when i started writing this episode when i wrote this intro we had just been to see the super mario movie oh fuck yeah the rooftop cinema movie was lit it was delightful yeah we went like this was again a month ago mm-hmm. so the weather hadn't gotten like now it's like 90 degrees every day scorching yeah 
but this was like perfect. It was nice and breezy, which is yeah. a rare thing here. Um, but yeah, and I was really surprised with like Jack Black and how good he was at Bowser. You could tell he had like a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was like. And Chris Pratt wasn't as shit as I thought he was going to be. Like, I thought he was going to be like fake Italian, but no, it was it was good. Yeah. They should have actually got Joe Santagato to do uh, Mario. It would have been like just the right amount of New York, right? <laughs> Yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> but yeah, I, I wasn't like a huge Mario fan. Like I played Super Mario and that was it. And then like Go or Mario Kart and stuff like that. But anyway, it was great for me. I had a great time. It was lovely and nostalgic and all. Um, another thing I did want to mention is a video that Kevin Smith, Silent Bob, mm. uh, put out on YouTube. Again, this was a month ago. I was still at my other job when I saw this. Uh, I'll link it in the show notes if I can remember. But it's all about trauma. And it's extremely validating and open and honest. And I think like every person, whether or not you think like, oh, I had a traumatic incident or not, just go watch it because it, it actually like really helps understand, I think, trauma in general. Yeah. And it's like a, it's a half an hour. And again, Silent Bob, you know what I mean? Yeah. I've never seen them do anything that wasn't either really funny or really genuine. So, uh, yeah, again, if I remember, it'll be in the show notes. If not, he did it like in conjunction with some big like magazine name, like not Vogue, but one of those. Actually, it might be Vanity Fair. Mm. Anyway, go and check it out. It was great. Um, Moving on. I feel like I'm at a town meeting or something. <laughs> <laughs> Next order of business. Yeah. Uh, it's we just we haven't recorded in such a long time. I feel like we just got to catch up, even though we live together. It's almost like we got to catch up on the things that we've done. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the other thing. And or again, enjoyed. We, li- we, are ab- we are about to get right into it. Um, not to quote last podcast, but um, like on our day to day lives, like it, it's very boring. And we come home, it's like, how was your day? This dude was a prick. Are you hungry? Yeah, this happened. OK, good night. Yeah. See you later. We're not coming home with the energy to talk for like two hours about yeah. like, oh my God, the synchronicities today are like really like <laughs> locking in. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's usually like you want to watch Fail Time. Yeah, literally. <laughs> but we watch Fail Army videos and Bail just time. the most ultimate mind numbing stuff. Yeah. To decompress. That's what you need. Yeah. But a lot of what's written below is paraphrased, almost directly taken from the book Visitors from Lanulos. Other sources this week are The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel, The Silver Bridge by Gray Barker, Ooh. and Hellier. Oh! Lord now, and Savior Dana and Greg Newkirk. Yeah, our <laughs> latest obsession, Greg and Dana Newkirk. Check them out if you haven't already. But before we get stuck in, just want to say thank you to Miss Julia for the support. Yeah, Julia S. on... Uh, on coffee which is like still set up from like before we wanted to do patreon or whatever people yeah. wanted to like give us stuff to show their appreciation so we set up a coffee or coffee um so if you don't want to sign up for like a month-long patreon you can just do like one-time thing on there which is all of this is much appreciated for example we just got new mic arms which may or may not be going back it all depends on how this episode works out so actually if you do hear weird noise or anything it's from the new mic arms. You let us know and we'll send them back. Yeah, seriously. 
I've only got seven days left. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hail Julia. But yeah, and also thanks to all our Patreon supporters and people who have bought books off our Amazon wishlist. Hail patrons. Hail patrons. On a cold, rainy November night in 1966, Woody Derenberger was making his way down I-77 on his way home to Mineral Wells, West Virginia. It was around 7 p.m., and Woody was only going around 50 miles per hour with his interior lights turned on, trying to see what had tipped over in the back of his van. As he did this, the car behind him flashed his lights and overtook him. He noticed another vehicle coming up behind this guy to pass also, but as it pulled up beside his van, Woody noticed that it had no lights. Woody noticed that it had no lights, which made him turn to look at it. Twas no car in the other lane, but a ship as Woody came to refer to it later. It was around 50 to 60 feet long, 12 to 20 foot tall at its highest point, and Woody said, quote, it resembled an old-fashioned kerosene lamp chimney, flaring at both ends, narrowing down to a small neck, and then enlarging in a great bulge at the centre. It was a dark charcoal grey-coloured object, and there were no lights of any kind, and the only sound was a soft fluttering noise that was continuous when the ship was near him. I actually picture that fluttering noise to be that noise that you make when you do like the angry cat sound. <laughs> you know, the... <laughs> <laughs> when I'm upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ship continued past Woody's van and proceeded to slow down and block the road, forcing Woody to pull into the hard shoulder and come to a stop around eight feet from the ship. As soon as the ship stopped, a door opened and a man got out. As this man exited the ship, Woody knew he was to roll down the passenger window of his van. There were no words spoken, he just received this message. In here. <laughs> the man reached the passenger door and told Woody he would like to speak with him and he shouldn't be afraid. He asked his name and told Woody that he didn't actually have to speak aloud if he didn't want to. He could just think and the man would hear it. This was handy because, although he wasn't initially afraid of the ship, Woody was now absolutely petrified. The man introduced himself as cold and asked Woody what he did for a living and if he had to do this. Woody told him yes. He was an appliance salesman. Very normal. While Mr. Cold was speaking with Woody his ship was hovering about 50 to 100 feet above the road. Mr. Cold told him that he was a searcher and asked quote what the lights in the distance were which happened to be a nearby city. He then asked Woody if all the people worked there. And Woody explained how cities worked. <laughs> Mr. Cole told him that this... Mis Mr. Cole said, don't mansplain to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not a fucking idiot, Woody. <laughs> Mr. Derenberger. <laughs> Mr. Cole told him that, this, that his people would call that a gathering. It's interesting, or at least I thought it was a month ago when I wrote this, um, because if all the people of Earth or the US, or whatever, all lived in this one city, then maybe these alien dudes thought like that we lived like ants. <laughs> like Woody was just out of the hive or nest, gathering stuff to return to the rest of us. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yes, past me, I, future me, present me, agree with that statement, actually. That is interesting. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mr. Cold kept reassuring Woody that he was okay and telling him not to be afraid. But he could tell that this wasn't calming him down. 
Eventually, he said, Mr. Derenberger, look at me. I am the same as you are. I sleep, breathe, and bleed, even as you do. That's pretty fucking metal. You don't drive a spaceship, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, therefore, I am superior. <laughs> In fact, Woody was driving, I think, uh, a Ford Econoline van, mm. which now is pretty cool. I think Dave Grohl actually has a similar model, maybe. Hell, Dave Grohl. Hell, Dave Grohl. I might be wrong with that. He does have a cool old van. Anyway, he even told him that his country was not nearly as powerful as Woody's. Oh? Yeah. And Woody said that the whole time he was stood there, he had a very pleasant smile on his face with his hands tucked into his armpits like this. Mm, just your regular old Joe. Yeah. Hey, Woody. What's going on? <laughs> uh, my like armpits this. are actually really sweaty. That's kind of gross. Holding up his tits. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, you like that, Woody? <laughs> yeah. You like when I go like this? <laughs> We hear this is what humans like. Yeah. <laughs> he was around 5 foot 10, 180, with dark, thick, slick back hair, with a good, healthy tan. He was wearing a dark top coat with some kind of, quote, garment made of glistening greenish material, all, almost metallic in appearance. He was said to be incredibly handsome and rugged, maybe oh. aged around 35 to 40. He sounds really handsome, like by that description. Yeah. Woody said he looked very pleasant and, quote, normal in every way. And Woody still had his interior light on in his van. That's, this story is extremely detailed. I think mm -hmm. it's the detail that has held it, like made it stand the test of time. Like. Mm -hmm. So with this interior light being on, they were able to see each other extremely clearly. Their interaction lasted about 10 minutes. And as the ship descended... Woody was told that he should report this to his local officials and his story would be confirmed at a later date. Woody saw another being standing in the doorway of the ship as Mr. Cold was getting back in, either helping him in or just closing the door, which I, again, I thought was really interesting because I'm pretty sure even in the last, uh, the story that we just did recently of the, the mother and daughter who got abducted, I'm pretty sure that same detail was in that story. That there was like some sort of backup or escort. Yeah, like whether that was just opening an old fashioned door, because again, yeah. we're learning that like the technology on these ships is really like super advanced and also very normal at the same time, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. It's like the difference between a Nokia and like an Apple. Yeah, or it's Nokia like... for non-American listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like they both can do wireless calls, yeah. but one is clearly more advanced. To me, uh, Nokia means that you have to walk everywhere. Woody was in an absolute state of... Do you get it? No. Okay. Woody was in an absolute state of shock and just drove home in autopilot. His what? Do you really not get it still? No. You drive a Kia if you had no Kia. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the ball to drop. I was like, come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> I think it's funnier that you had to explain it. <laughs> yeah. I love how you looked at me so intensely. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> like your your frustration came through in your explanation. Anyways, continue. <laughs> Dads all over the world are listening to this going, come on. <laughs> Also, real quick, a shout out to whoever's in Sri Lanka and Taiwan, because you keep putting us back in the charts in those countries. Oh, really? Yeah. I, 
it's just it's interesting every time i check it out i'm like oh look at that one of us yeah but one i've never heard like i've never interacted with anybody from sri lanka or taiwan same so hey friends yeah hey like reach out to us let us know i just want to go oh it's him yeah yeah or her or them or whatever woody was in an absolute state of shock and just drove home in autopilot his wife thought he was after getting in an accident and killing someone specifically when she saw him because he was so visibly shaken he told her what happened and then he suggested that they call the police but Woody started shaking again and got all choked up when he tried to tell them over the phone. Like, it, I do feel bad for him because he's a real, like, you know, 1950s West Virginia man's man. Like, I sell appliances and that's it and all about it. I imagine your dad. Uh, yeah, me too, actually. That's probably why I feel for him, honestly. <laughs> but then it goes back to what we were actually saying with the ghost story, guys. And Emma, it's like this visceral, weird, emotional reaction that people just seem to have in these situations, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, he he starts getting all choked up and his wife, Marjorie is her name, takes over the phone call, just explains what he had told her. And in defense of the police, they actually took them seriously. They asked if Woody needed any medical assistance and told him that they'd call back, which they did about 10 minutes later to inform them that they had had two reports already that night of very similar activity going on. Yeah, and then like... In the coming weeks, there was so many more. Like, people were still driving past as Woody was talking to Mr. Cold on the side of the road. Like, oh, yeah. And thanks to Hellier, if you they actually stop at the point in an episode of Hellier, they pull the car over exactly where or roughly where uh, this encounter happened. Wow. Yeah. A Mrs. Huggins and her two children stopped and watched the craft for a whole five minutes while it seemed to be on its way towards Parkersburg. A kid reported that a ship had hovered over his car shining a bright light on him as he drove down the highway and also two other truckers reported very similar cases to what Woody had experienced. Hmm. So I don't know whether that meant that they were actually like face-to-face talking with Mr. Cold. Mm -hmm. or anything at that point but i mean i guess that they had blocked but they did they were anonymous reports to the police those two truckers and then apparently john keel interviewed them later but i don't know if that interview actually made it into the book i I couldn't find it when i like went back over woody himself was kind of confused by his own personal reaction to the whole thing and kept reiterating how not scary mr cold actually was and how he was constantly reassured by him that he shouldn't be scared of him. But a cursory Google search will bring up some pretty terrifying images of the smiling man or the grinning man. On the website cryptids.fandom.com, they said in his first sighting, he was described as being over six feet tall and wearing a reflective green suit with a black belt. He had a dark complexion and small beady eyes set far apart. He was described as not having any nose, ears or hair. That is not true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like any of the if you type in the smiling man or the grinning man or whatever, you get these weird hand drawn pictures and like stuff like that. But where did this terrifying description come from? Mm hmm. Because we know Woody Derenberger's just described him as this like lovely, handsome, yeah. tall, rugged man. And yeah, he did have on like some reflective stuff, but he kind of made it seem like it was underneath his regular top coat, you know? Yeah. 
So while Woody describes him as having a pleasant smile in his book, Visitors from Lanulos, in the Mothman Prophecies, John Keel describes him as grinning broadly. Now, even that like doesn't say much, but then later he does, like as in a few seconds, a few lines down the page, he refers to him as the grinning man. Again, he doesn't say like this evil grin or anything like that. Yeah. He just says, and now the grinning man was walking around the front of the truck or something like that. Yeah. Or the van. So I genuinely think that the internet just took that and ran with it. Makes sense. Yeah. Because John Keel was just describing him before he actually introduced himself to Woody in the story. But just like I might be the tattooed man or the dour man, yeah. you know, but suddenly it became the capital G, capital M the grinning man. Yeah, yeah, you like know? a creepypasta. It literally turned into a creepypasta. And then later, in the Mothman Prophecies movie, which we did watch recently enough, but I honestly can't remember any of it. I think I fell asleep. Um, I think they blended Mothman and Mr. Cold in some very ambiguous way yeah. where they were like, we don't have time or budget to fit this character into this movie, so let's just like... Yeah, it did feel like kind of wedged in there. Yeah, and we'll get into it a little bit later, but I don't think there is a link between him and Mothman. I think it just happened. At the same time. In the same place, or very close proximity, which could say something about the place itself. I don't know. Anyway, the following morning, November 3rd, Woody went to work as normal and even told his boss what had happened. He just seems really naive or something, like, and still in shock, I think. His boss naturally didn't believe him at first, but soon realized that he was deadly serious. Around 10 a.m., the producer of a local news channel came into the store and asked Woody if he would like to go down to the station that afternoon and tell his story. Woody agreed to go down, and again, I personally believe that he was just in shock and very naive. Like, I, I honestly don't think he was trying to do it for like publicity or anything no, like that. I think no. this man just showed up, either the boss told him, like the boss heard Woody's story and then was like, hold on, I better call the news or what used to happen specifically around here, actually. And I know this from the Mothman Prophecies uh, character. Uh, she's not a character. She was a real person. Mary Hire used to do like local news stories. So every morning she would call the police stations and the hospitals and see who got checked in, who died, who left. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, that's interesting. So I think... A very similar thing would have happened here where this reporter called the cops and was like, hey, what's the scoop? And they were like, you're never going to believe this. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think he was just like, well, this happened to me and it was a bit mad, but I definitely experienced it. So why wouldn't I tell people? Again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he thought this is it. I'm going to hit the fucking big books, you know, mm -hmm. that's not how it went. He was interviewed extensively from around two o'clock to six o'clock by state police, radio and TV hosts. And when he finally got home, he was met by a big group of friends and randos who had just heard the story and like wanted to chat. They were like, oh, I saw lights in my back garden or I saw you talking to the guy. You know what I mean? Whatever it was. Now, he entertained these people until around 2.30 that night. And that's when he decided like, hey, I, I need to go to bed. Like I have work in the morning. And on his way home from work later that day, Woody felt a strange tingling sensation in the middle of his forehead. He realized that this was Mr. Cold's way of telepathically reaching out to him, kind of like a ringtone, but in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
He didn't want to respond at first, but this weird sensation persisted. So he finally responded or accepted or whatever you do when someone's brain calling you like nonstop. He didn't hit the green button. You hit the green button. (laughs) Derenberger tried to explain what uh, mental telepathy actually feels like. And he said it was like hearing your own voice, but with someone else's words. Right. Huh. Yeah. And I understand that it's very hard for him to explain something that, you know, very few people have actually experienced, if any, at all. Yeah, like imagine trying to describe the color blue to someone who's never seen it. Exactly, exactly. Um, so like you only think in your. Well, actually, no, that's not true. I think in like accents and stuff as well. Like sometimes, <laughs> literally, like that's some... true. You think pork chop sounds like a older, a like deep voiced man. Yeah, and sometimes like my thought train will just be in texan or scottish or whatever yeah maybe i need to see somebody though. <laughs> um, these are all just your multiple personalities yeah yeah but this does it kind of reminded me of uh an old futurama quote where i don't know how early in the, the seasons this was but fry from futurama was like said quote it's like i'm getting a headache but with pictures hmm now, he was just describing thoughts, <laughs> but for that always stuck me ever since I was a kid. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. And a little bit later on, we'll see like the headache with thoughts or with pictures is almost the perfect summary of telepathy, according to Woody Dermenberger, I yeah. think. Now, Mr. Cole told him to slow down and drive very carefully. They were above his van and following along. And I'm going to quote this next bit directly from visitors, visitors from Lanulos. Wait, so he was driving. He wasn't asleep. No, Woody was driving home from work. Oh, I'm tripping. Okay. No, yeah, you're not tripping. He went to bed at 2.30 that morning Mm -hmm. because he had work. But this is on his way home from work. Okay. But it's still the same day. Okay. Which is November 4th. Okay. For new listeners, I do that just to keep myself in the timeline and caught up on what's going on. Mr. Cole told me he was from a planet called Lanulos. He said that it was located close to the galaxy of Ganymede, although I have since come to believe that Mr. Cole gave me the wrong location for their own safety. He told me that his planet was practically the same as ours, that they have woods, fields, and streams and oceans as we do. He also said that he had taken samples of our own vegetation and also some of our animals. And with very few exceptions, these were the same as they have. He also told me that he was married, that he had two sons aged 8 and 11, and that his wife's name was Kimmy. Since the previous time, a baby girl has been born to them. They named her Kimilis. I'm assuming after the mom, Kimmy. Kimmy. That's cute. The previous visit, though, was only two days ago. That's something that stuck out to me. Anyway. So he was working while the wife was getting giving pregnant. Yeah, I guess. It, it was just like a strange, like, wow, that happened in one day. Like, go home. You know what I mean? <laughs> you guys don't have maternity leave? Yeah, you guys are yeah. supposed to be advanced. <laughs> I guess searchers <laughs> don't have enough. Yeah. Maybe you didn't have enough leave. PTO. Yeah. Mr. Cold also said that their time was not exactly like ours. They have three seasons. Planting, harvesting, and cold. He said that his people had a life expectancy of 125 to 175 of our years. 
At this time, he told me his first name was Indrid and that he was getting ready to break contact and that I would receive a severe shock to prepare myself for it. Oh. Now, he said it wasn't actually that bad. Like, it's not like it. I'm like, why are you doing this now, man? The man's driving. Yeah. Well, he did tell him to be quiet, to be careful. <laughs> be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> be quiet. I'm about to hang up this fucking phone on yeah, you so yeah. fast. But the the dude in the, because his Woody's, Woody's buddy was actually in the van with him. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Yeah. Woody's buddy. And he said that he also like felt something weird going on and kind of knew that like Woody was Being in weird. a weird place. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, after Woody's TV interview, the story took off and all of a sudden there was he was a household name. And this led to hundreds and hundreds of people all piling up outside of his house and waiting for him every single night. Now, he admits that he let this get way out of hand, but he was just really polite. And I suppose there was probably like a sense of responsibility or like... He probably felt like if he said, if he turned people away, all of a sudden they'd all be like, oh, he's full of shit. Like, he doesn't want to talk about it. But like, some nights he'd be up till three and four in the morning with fucking Marjorie making coffee and feeding these people and all. So he was just getting walked all over by these. I'm sure nobody meant any harm by it. They're just nosy as fuck and knew no boundaries. Really nosy, no boundaries whatsoever. And then some of them, were actual contactees or abductees or had weird experiences and were finally feeling like, oh my God, here's somebody else I can talk to. Yeah. Anyway, he didn't turn anyone away. But like, again, some nights there could be 25 to 30 people, not just sitting outside in their cars, which a lot of people did, but these people would just walk up to the door and knock on the window and, you know, just being rude, basically. Now, I can't remember if I said this already, but I did actually, I said it earlier. Woody was an appliance salesman. And so a lot of his sales are actually made after regular business hours. Like he would put in his work day and then be like, oh, I need to go and see, you know, Mrs. Jackson up the road. And, you know, she might need a microwave or whatever. Don't even know if microwaves were around back then. This meant that his wife, Marjorie, was home on her own a lot of the time as well, while these strangers were all pulling up outside. Their son was also getting bullied terribly at school. His name was Greg. Um, and he was seven, I think, when this happened. But because, like, obviously the story is a bit of a tough one to swallow. Like, regardless of whether or not you are interested or believe in anything like this, you know, it's still a bit of a tough one. And, like, 99% of ghosts slash UFO stories, the family did not prosper and turn their stories to gold. It was the opposite. His sales dropped down to almost nothing aside from the fact that people now recognized him and thought that he might be legitimately unstable and therefore didn't want him coming to their house uh, other people were calling and arranging house calls and being like yeah i need a fucking an oven or whatever yeah come on out and like on multiple occasions he drove over 40 miles just to get to a house to have the person be like tell us all about Indrid you know what I mean and they didn't want anything at all or they were just kind of laughing at him you know which is never nice under any situation but that's so shitty like you're calling to get to have a man drive out to you yeah so that you could laugh at him yeah it's so fucked 
And again, like even in his book, like he doesn't outright say it. But my impression from the other sources that I was reading was this was very much a, and a common thing. Like I know for a fact that this happened in Ireland in the 50s. I know what my relatives are like. They would have been the people laughing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially like back then. Nobody yeah. had any filters. <laughs> but anyway, the house that the family were in at the time where all these people were showing up and having like their sandwiches in the car at night. It was actually a rented farmhouse, a little bit outside of um, not Gallipolis. What's the name of the town? Mineral Wells. And they actually had to sell most of their furniture. Over This is over the course of, I think, only two months from his story going pretty much viral to them actually having to sell most of their furniture and move into a summer cabin that Marjorie's family owned. You know, and, and this was, again, summer accommodation. This is not like all year round so it's not insulated it's just an old cabin out by a lake somewhere or on the side of a river actually was but there is one funny story about because people did see weird stuff at that house while they were waiting for weird stuff to happen there was odd lights and suppose like some people said that they actually saw you know Indrid Cole's spaceship over the house now again I don't know if I believe it but this is where John Keel and Gray Barker actually interviewed him. And this one story is in all of the books. Because John Keel, who outwardly describes himself as a hotshot writer from New York. <laughs> this man loves himself. We've laughed about this before. He loves himself. Oh, is that the one that talks shit about women? He's all like, oh, time. she's not the best looking woman or yeah. she wore a cheap fucking robe and I'm a robe connoisseur. Yeah, my my yeah, he's the robe connoisseur. Oh. My okay. favorite description that he gave was uh it's not like she would win a Raquel Welch competition anytime soon or something like that. <laughs> Eat a bag of dicks. Kilo. Yeah, no, he's the most misogynistic. He did great work in the paranormal realm. Not a great person by today's standards. But he loved himself and any chance he could get to describe himself as the hotshot writer showing up to these, you know, lowly country folk, he would. But then in Gray Barker's book, Gray Barker loves the guy. He's like, here's John Keel and he's a big hotshot writer from <laughs> New York. Oh, my Lord. Barker, love yourself. Yeah. While, <laughs> and this is going way off topic, but while... At the end of the Mothman prophecies, I think it's either in the, the prologue or the epilogue. I can't remember. Kill shits all over Gray Barker's book. Yeah. He's like, he wrote a really He's, nice novel loosely yeah. based on the thing. Yeah, like fantasy fucking. Like, yeah. Meanwhile, oh. in that like novel loosely based, Gray Barker's like, he's so handsome. <laughs> um, so weird. Anyway, on this legendary night. Gray Barker, John Keel, and Woody Derenberger are at the Derenberger household. They're sitting out on the back porch. Shit's going down. Shit is going down. Because all, I'm pretty sure all these cars are still parked up outside. I don't think it was quite as busy. Uh, maybe it was like a Wednesday night or something. And they see lights way out in the distance by the... Beyond, like, in the past the field beyond... The Derenberger's farmhouse. Okay. And uh, Derenberger is like, I'm pretty sure that's them. I might be wrong, but like these are very similar to the lights that we have actually been witnessing a lot closer to the house lately. That kind of thing. And so Keel, 
being a big hotshot writer, goes and tries to investigate. So he walks down to the fence at the bottom of the Derenberger yard and he jumps over it. Doesn't realize that the it's actually an electric fence. <laughs> and lands in a pile of bullshit on the other side. Literally, like, manure on the other side of the fence. And then finds out that the bull that laid the manure is still in the field. Oh! Yeah. I see you, universe. I yeah. see you, universe. <laughs> yeah. But according to Gray Barker, this young hotshot, or this hotshot rider from New York was well-equipped to handle a bull because of... Like, I don't know, he grew up on a fucking ranch or something. From fucking Spain or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, like vacations in Spain. Yeah, so he, he managed... under matadors. Yeah. <laughs> I've killed many a bull in my time. <laughs> Let me just write this hotshot story about it. Yeah. I keep bulls as pets. He's like describing the bull. He's like, he thinks he's pretty attractive, but really, I've seen his wife. I have sired bulls myself with <laughs> yeah. purebred cows. <laughs> so... <laughs> Nothing more happened to uh, to Kiel that night. I'd actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it might have just been a big pile of mud that he landed in. But anyway, he got out of the field safely. Let, let me think. It's it's poop. Yeah, yeah. For the sake of this, we'll we'll say it was bull crap he landed in. Um, and I'm saying that as a fan of Kiel's <laughs> work, by the way. But everybody knows. Everybody. I knows. feel like he's like the Zach Baggins of the time. A little bit, but he did good work. Yeah. You know? No, no. I mean, like, the attitude. personality. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Because um, even his friends, like, Mary Heyer is the woman who, like, helped him out with so much research, specifically in the Mothman prophecies, because she was from Point Pleasant and knew all the comings and goings. That was the old lady. Um, He, like, gave described her in the book. I can't remember what it was now, but he basically said, like, oh, she was an... An old lady, you know what I mean? Like, just wasn't a nice description. Oh, Mary, the old one? Yeah, the old bag. <laughs> yeah, she was a good friend of mine. That's um, awful. But I will also say that, again, they were supplying all these rude visitors with coffee and biscuits and all every night. Um, And again, I also think similar stuff like this happened at the Lindley House Poltergeist, where people would just show up waiting for shit to happen oh yeah and it just adds so much unnecessary unnecessary stress to the family yeah we're like, going through this shit you know like, what i mean oh yeah that's true like it, regard as a paranormal stuff yeah i was just gonna say like kind of like the same as the people who live in the amityville horror house after the lutzes moved out you, like still today like with yeah. people showing up yeah yeah they're like it's not haunted yeah like <laughs> leave us <fuck>. alone <laughs> So anyway, before that tangent that we just went on, <laughs> they had moved, they were forced to move from their house, basically. And they managed to hide in the summer cabin for about a month with no surprise visitors. But the location was given away when there was a few, when there was a UFO sighting directly behind the cabin, which led UFO enthusiasts to the area. And then they recognized the family, I guess. Now, I, d I don't know if these sightings were actually because of Indrid Cold and his crew, or whether it was just a weird coincidence that drove UFO people out to the summer cabin. But either way, it happened again. People were like, I found the Derenbergers. Like, let's go hang out there. There's going to be more. I can't say that I wouldn't have done it as a 20-year-old. Like, do you know what I mean? Or as a 15-year-old or something. Like, But either way, the family had to move a couple of times more because 
Woody was also jobless now and had to nobody would hire him either because they're like I know you you're that crazy person who thinks he's talking with aliens you know and in December when they were still at their original house when the rude visitors were at the peak the Derenbergers were visited by a Captain Bruce Parsons from Florida According to Woody, this man was formerly the police chief of Parkersburg, West Virginia, and was currently based in Cocoa Beach, Florida, where he said he was also a security guard at the NASA facility. So this part-time security guard knew the head man of NASA, a guy he called Charlie, and he wanted the Derenbergers to fly down and spend a week at Cocoa Beach, completely paid for by NASA, to go over the story and whatnot. Now, I do believe that the family went down there because I don't think they were in the position to just book a week down in Florida for four, first of all. And Woody apparently showed a bunch of souvenirs that he bought while down in Florida. (laughs) Yeah, that he showed to John Keel Mm -hmm. when he was being interviewed. So... And, like, I'm picturing John Keel, like, you know, this hotshot writer just looking at a little alligator statue, like you know what I yeah. mean? Like or getting a t-shirt like my friend went to Cocoa Beach and all I got was his lousy <laughs> shirt, you know. <laughs> but what's weird, this might be very tangenty, oh, what we're Lord. about to get into. What's weird, okay, is obviously why would they send someone who does moonlights as a security guard mm-hmm. at Cape Canaveral? Like it was kind of justified when I first kind of read this story, like, oh, he used to be a police chief of Parkersburg, so obviously they're gonna send him back up to West Virginia. He's familiar with the people or whatever. But then there's the fact that the cop's name is actually Parsons. Now, Jack Parsons is described in this wonderfully bright New York Times headline that I found earlier. This sex-crazed cultist was the father of modern rocketry. Jack Parsons. The fuck? Not Bruce Parsons. Jack Parsons. We're going off topic just for a second. And they're not exactly wrong. Now, I'm not going to delve too deep into Jack Parsons' life. Not today, anyway. Uh, Last podcast on the left did a great series on him. That's how I know a lot about him. Like, that's how I'm a lot more familiar with him, I should say. I don't know a whole bunch about him. But the reason why I think Captain Bruce Parsons is more than just a coincidental name is because while Jack Parsons did actually pave the way in modern rocketry for companies like NASA... He was a literal explosives genius who worked on JATO in the late 30s and 40s. JATO being jet-assisted takeoff. Okay. Parsons was also a an extreme practitioner of thelemic magic who led a life of occult research and ritual work. He was so magic-heavy. He also had his wife taken from him by L. Ron Hubbard, the fantasy fiction writer who made up Scientology after famously saying, you don't get rich writing science fiction. If you want to get rich, you start the religion. That's a quote from L. Ron Hubbard. That man stole Jack Parsons' wife because they were all involved in this crazy magic ritual that was going on, like a long-term ritual in this house. It's called the Parsonage, actually, the house. It's in California. Nuts. Right, just nuts. But I was like, why would this man's name be Parsons? And then if you watch Hellier, when they're looking for Indrid Cold, they come across a building and the floor of the building has Parsons written on it. 
it's all synchronous. This is my Charlie Day moment where I'm like, you know, with all the shit, the twine in the background and yeah. all. So I just thought that the fact that this cop, his name is Parsons and he like is a part time security guard at the NASA facility. They're like, yeah, send him up. Something weird is going on here. Clearly, he's not really a security guard. Yeah. So I get it. That's, yeah. I get Do you not understand? <laughs> I get, maybe I should have led with that before you went yeah, on a yeah. ten minute rant. Like I get it, but no, I, I, I hope I hope the listener gets it though. You know what I mean? Like I'm not insane. There is links here. <laughs> and okay, I just feel like this story is much bigger than we're gonna give it credit right now. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I don't know enough about it. Anyway, I'm going to use my indoor voice then. <laughs> really in the crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem with things like this. Like when you get really balls deep in stories like this, you do start to see the crazy. Come out of you. Yeah, because all these weird synchronicities. And we're going to do a little video after this for Patreon to show why I'm so obsessed with Jack Parsons and synchronicities. Then Darren Berger says... Hit back to Woody. Then Woody says him and his family were given a tour of Cape Canaveral, which was actually called Cape Kennedy at the time. Jackie Kennedy actually asked Lyndon Johnson to rename it after JFK was assassinated because she just wanted it to be. Uh, didn't want a negative name over the place, like, you know what I mean? She didn't want it to be marred by tragedy, which was weird anyway. So Cape Kennedy and every night they were down there in Florida, Woody was given intense interviews on his experience by some guy called Charlie, who had who told Woody that he was the head of NASA. Guess what, though? He wasn't the head of NASA. The head of NASA in 1967 was James Edwin Webb. Not even Thomas O'Payne, as John Keel mentions in Mothman Prophecies. John Keel was a year off. But he didn't have Google to just go like, wait a minute. You know what I mean? Anyway, but I really believe that if any of this is real, if I'm to believe that this is a completely factual retelling, I think that this was some super secret government department because Derenberger was also interviewed by actual government officials. You know what I mean? Like outward government officials, like we're here well, on official government business. You yeah. Know? And like if it had to have been people with money and connections, if they were able to bring him out just fly him down to florida exactly like that alone yeah and the fake names and the fake positions that they're given is and like pure tell again if we're to believe it 100 percent, they did also bring the family in for a private tour of cape canaveral mm -hmm. so unless this was just like some absolute ruse by ufo nerds and they were like Send them in on the regular tour of Cape Canaveral, but tell them that we have put this on. You know what I mean? They're just walking around with a load of tourists and they're like, I can't believe they did this all for us. <laughs> no, it's just something is weird about that. And according to Keel, uh, Derenberger had actual photographs of his trip down there. And he also had material from a an astronaut suit, which he said, this is the same stuff that Indrid Cold had on under his suit or under his coat on the first night that they ever met. So Woody continued to have in-person meetings with Indrid and some of Indrid's crew, and they eventually became part of the family. Uh, like, pretty much. Like, Greg and 
Tanya. It is Tanya, not Tanya. Greg and Tanya um, were getting so excited because they'd be out, like, as kids, they'd be in the back of the car driving down the highway and they would spot the ships out in the sky and be like, oh, look, Dad, like, there's Indrid, there's Indrid. And their mom wasn't too happy about all this. Like, it took the family a little while to get used to this and to even be introduced to Indrid and all. And the kids were warmed over first. But the uh, Marjorie was still kind of like, this is weird. These are space people. And so the kids would be all excited, like, look, mom, there's Indrid in, in the Don't thing. be racist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, he was heavily tan. No, and so the kids would see Indrid, fly past them, and then later on, Woody would be like, to Marjorie, so, uh, he would say, oh, Indrid said that he saw you guys at, you know, such and such location today at like one o'clock, when Woody wouldn't have been able to know that because he was at work, you know what I mean? So there is this weird connection definitely going on there and on one occasion not long after that fateful night in uh, November Woody was returning home late when he found Indrid and his friend sitting on the back porch Indrid whose family's names are Kimilis and Connard and you know this is all like weird Sarabas and stuff is another name you know what his friend's name was no Bob Carl Ugh. with a K Chad yeah. <laughs> so while they sat on the back porch, they told Woody all about Lanulos and what it was like to live there. They said, quote, they had never had any kind of war in their world and that they could not understand the word hate. They are taught from childhood that all people are brothers, brothers and sisters, and it doesn't matter where they are from or who they are or what color. They are all still God's children. And so they are one family in God. They believe there is only one God who is the creator of all the worlds and life. They believe that God loves one as much as the other and that in God's love, there is no discrimination. They truly live in the belief that every man is equal. They believe that man's sole purpose on any world is to serve God and to help one another. There's only one denomination of faith on their planet and they simply call themselves God's children. Not to be confused with children of God. <laughs> but like this seems to be the message from so many ad abductees and people who have had like close encounters or, or whatever you want to call it. This and stop killing the earth. You know, there's a lot of alien encounters where the the aliens are just like, please stop using up all the resources and killing one another. So whatever the aliens are harvesting from us. I don't think they're doing us any harm right now. So like, let's yeah. listen to them instead. They also explained to Woody how their telepathy worked. And what I thought was interesting with was that one, you couldn't lie or hide your true emotion. Like, like you were unable to or like it was forbidden? No, like it just wouldn't happen. Mm. You know what I mean? Like people could literally see what they like not see what you were thinking, but. Like you, you just couldn't hide from because of the telepathy. Because of the telepathy uh. and just like their own intuition, I guess it was a lot easier to read people. Interesting. And as well, it's not that people couldn't be sad in Lanulos. It's just that there was less to be sad about, or if they were sad or angry, they were honest about it, and they would tell each other, "Hey, I'm sad." Yeah, or I'm Help pissed me. off. Like you kicked my dog by accident i don't fucking know but also it worked as a communication aid 
this telepathy and like almost to convey your message in the most efficient and detailed manner. Mm. So kind of mm. Dulce has this gift naturally of just saying exactly what she means or feels, which can be a double edged sword, a very double edged sword. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I don't. I have the exact opposite of a gift in this. Whereas I just ramble on for days and I never actually say what yeah. I thought I was trying to say, you know? Yeah. I, I wouldn't call it a gift. I would say I lack tact. Maybe. I But like, anyway, in Lanulos, that's a good thing. Mm. It's one of the reasons why there is no, uh, like, wars or anything like that, you know? Mm -hmm. They said that they had been on Earth exploring and studying since around 1947. At this time, it was 1966, I believe. Um, But they still had a really healthy fear of man because they couldn't they just couldn't wrap their heads around hatred and war they offered to take woody out for a little spin in their ship but he declined this time he went on many trips after this though he was just tired this one night and on may 11th 1967 uh indrid took him on a 30 minute trip to where florida Lanulos. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it only takes 30 minutes to get to Lanulos in this ship oh, even though late. Yeah, even though, like, Woody said it didn't feel like they were going, like, mad warp speed or anything like that, but I guess they were. Uh, they had really good shocks in their spaceship. Yeah, they mo probably have air conditioning, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor thing. You don't have AC. <laughs> As they were coming into land, Woody said, quote, I have never in all my life seen anything look so beautiful as the rolling hills and vast plains, the oceans and rivers of Lanulos. I saw one place that was called Kumyala, or the Mountains of Sand. This place looked to be nothing but pure sand for hundreds of miles. There were, there were huge mountains, bigger than any that are recorded on earth, and of pure sand. Indrid said nothing lived in this place but small reptiles, or lizards as we would call them. The only water they had was the dew that they found in the morning or at night. Woody met Kimmy, Indrid's wife, on the ship and even visited their home where he met their sons Connard and Connor and the new baby girl Kimilis as well. Now at this point I think she was like four or five months old. He wasn't very impressed with her but <laughs> the, uh, the two boys were like very attractive young men like you know. No, handsome boys. They were like 12 or something. Mm. Anyway. He was like, this, and then Cumulus was like, this is just a baby. Yeah, she's doing nothing. Just sitting there. <laughs> what does she do? Yeah. Just can't even talk around. <laughs> Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Next, they took the sidewalk into town. Woody described the, the sidewalks as basically like travelators in the airport, you know? Like you just stood on them. Oh. And they, they in Lanulos, in Soviet Lanulos, sidewalk <laughs> like, you, you know? You? Yeah. I, I guess. Um, he was led around stores by Indrid and Kimmy, who were holding his hand so he wouldn't steal anything. What the fuck? Yes. They were telepathic, and they knew that he really wanted to take something home for proof of his visit. Why didn't he just ask for it? He was told, Oh, you, can't you are have not anything. allowed to take anything from oh. these stores. Yeah. I don't know why. He was introduced to groups of people who had gathered around to stare and see what this horrible, violent earth man was doing in, in their gathering. Remember, that's what they mm. called towns and village or cities so then he took off all his clothes and the people seemed to accept him more the people of lanulos you see are nudists oh no shit yeah they have no modesty like it's 
Not that they have no modesty. They have no shame. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's the word I was looking there for. There you go. Um, you can tell you're a race Catholic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, they, they do wear clothes, but only when, like, they have to. You know what I mean? Like, if it's really cold. It's like, fine, I'll put on the whatever. Or if they're working with tools and stuff because they don't want to chop off their bits. Or if they're, like, you know, safety visiting first. other people's houses and... No. They have to sit on their couches. I'm assuming all the couches are covered with plastic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> after this, they traveled to a factory to see how the people of Lanulos worked. It was some sort of metal factory. What did they eat? Uh, I don't know. I think just regular food. They got steak and shit? Well, they have cows. They eat them? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Lanulos, man. It, it's more or less the same as here, except better by the sounds of things. Um, so yeah they went to this factory and then they went to another gathering about I think they said like a half an hour away where he met an earth couple who had moved to Lanulos some years before how were they able to do that well in, in a similar situation to Woody you know they had met maybe not Indrid but another Lanulosian I think and he was like here do you want to come over and live here instead and they're like absolutely so they were actually from Acapulco, Mexico. No shit. Yeah, and they had very authentic Mexican names. Whoa, like Jose. John and Carolyn Peterson. Oh, that's not <laughs> John authentic. and Carolyn Peterson. So Hi, they, I'm from Mexico. So they must have been a retired couple that moved into Mexico. I think that's exactly what happened. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Gracias, senorito. Jesus <laughs> senorito. Christ. Tortilla. Yeah. What he goes on to describe how the people of Lanulos live and what they like to do for fun. They're really good swimmers. It's basically just a huge commune mm. where everyone loves everyone and is happy all the time. Well, not all the time, but reasonably happy all of the time. And at the time when Woody was writing the book, he was undecided as to whether or not he should move himself and the family to Lanulos. What stopped them? Well, he felt was that it he Margie? should... A racist, but it could have been honestly. I don't know. Um, read between the lines. <laughs> no, in the book, he said that he would rather stay on earth and promote the Lanulosian mindset of like, you know, everybody needs to love everybody. And it wasn't necessarily a big religious thing, it was just a really nice message that they had. But he definitely made the wrong choice because yeah. he should have gone the fuck to Lanulos. Um, he passed away in 1990. Woody Derenberger, I think 1990. But his daughter, Tanya, stayed in regular contact with Indrid, Carl, Connor and Connard and others. And she released a book of her own, which I haven't read. I think she actually released five books. And in these books, she goes into detail of like what it's like to have people like this in your life. Like they would call over like like your cousins do like once every year or something like that. And there was like they would read the Bible together and stuff like that. So it started to get kind of weird, I think. Um, in her books but I don't know like I was saying earlier I don't know if there's any direct connection between Indrid Cold and Mothman other than the fact that they both showed up in the same general area around the same time but more recently Indrid Cold has been brought back up or back into the world I guess like people are talking about him again because of Hellier the series that we keep talking about all of the time in the series, the ACBTF, or Alien Cave-Based Task Force, as they like to call themselves, actually interview Tonya Derenberger, who tells them that she had been visited by Connor and Connard 
Indrid's sons, and that they told her that Indrid and Carl had been involved in some sort of accident while chasing humanoids, and they had been killed. <gasps> yeah. So she had made, like, a, a Facebook post about this. Apparently, like, she's very open to accepting Facebook requests and, like, open about this whole subject. So I think Greg and Dana Newkirk were actually just friends with her on Facebook and then happened to see her, like, make this post, like, saying that Indra and Carl had died in a fiery wreck. So Greg and Dana Newkirk go and interview her. And she tells them this, yeah, you know, they're on some weird mission and these humanoids were flying off and the humanoids are basically harmless scoundrels who traverse the universe, stealing things from people, according to Woody's book. Um, Like they literally mugged a couple of, I think they were... They're like pirates, like space pirates. Yeah, but like they don't even, by the sounds of things, it's not even like they're, they're like stealing your goods for to sell them or anything. It's just like, oh, like they're amazed by like... You know, human things like pens and watches, kind of like the men in black. Honestly, I, I feel like there's a weird crossover here that's not being put together. Like they got their own invaders. Yeah, like the so up to like shady shit. Yeah, like the example that was in either Visitors from Lanny Lowe's or the Mothman Prophecies, I can't remember, was that these kids were out necking mm. in a car on some back road in West Virginia or Kentucky and kind of like a lot of ufo sightings like you know they anyway they were in there they were naked and next thing they got a knock on the door and they thought it was a cop so like oh shit like tried to get dressed real quick and it turns out it was these humanoids and they were like give us your watch <laughs> because they thought like look at this human made thing it's amazing they stole their wallets and watches or whatever the kids couldn't tell anybody because then their parents would know. They were bumping uglies. Yeah, exactly. Out in the back roads. Um, but then they heard, actually it was John Keel. It was the Mothman Prophecies because then the boy heard that John Keel was in town interviewing people with these weird experiences. And he goes and tells John Keel about it. No, I'm getting this star mixed up. Either way. Woody Derenberger tells Indrid Cold about this and Indrid goes and gets the kids their stuff back and they have their watches and wallets and all personal possessions returned and he's like, oh, just those pesky humanoids. That was the gist of it. I cut it out for time, but yeah, so that's who the humanoids are. Anyway, Indrid Cold and Carl Ardo died chasing these humanoids in the middle of the night in like 2018, okay, recently. But then during the interview... She goes on to say that she doesn't think that he's necessarily dead, even though she's just told everybody that he's dead, but that he had to go underground for some sort of top secret, secret mission. So don't be surprised if he shows back up again. I'm just saying that right now he's kind of dead, but maybe he's not really dead. Hmm. That was kind of it. Hellier season three is currently being filmed or edited, I think. I feel like he has to be dead. Because they're not allowed to lie, right? To each other. It's not that they're not allowed to. It's just that if we're both telepathic and we both know what we're both really thinking. But if you're brought up to not do that. Yeah, but if you're protecting the small-minded humans, you know, for top secret government work. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, all we can do now is hold out and see if the new characters, like, rustle up any new information or... 
if we will ever find out what really happened to Indrid Cold. But like I said, I started writing this about a month ago and then I had to walk away from it. But I knew when I woke up this morning that this was my work today. Like I was going to go and finish it. I was going to go sit in the coffee shop, finish this episode and we're going to record it, which we are. And when I checked my phone the first thing this morning, I saw the new Kirks posting to say that Tanya Derenberger had actually passed away just last night. What? Yeah, May 19th, 2023. She passed away. I think she had a lot of health problems. Like in the interview, she was living in some sort of assisted living facility. Um, Obviously still really sad. But again, just another weird coincidence that I happened to wake up this morning knowing that I was going to be writing about her. And she passed away last night. Whoa. Yeah, because I'd actually only, when I first started writing this, I was on her Facebook page mm. to see if I could like get any new information, which I didn't. But yeah, that's all I know about Indrid Cold so far. Damn. And uh, there's like, look, the, those three books that I read obviously hold a lot more information than what's in this hour or whatever. Um, so oh. if, you, if you're really, really interested, go and, and read the books. I wonder how she found out Indrid and Carl were dead, if those were the only, like, connections that she had to people that lived in Lanulos. Connor and Connard. Oh, Indrid's yeah, yeah, yeah. sons. Yeah. Who she's also very close with. I guess they're did like she have children? Cousins. She did have children, but um, I think it was a very complicated relationship. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Indrid Cold. Mm. And where he came from. And I do think that we, like, kind of busted the Grinning Man myth. I really think that that was like just read in an excerpt from some article maybe or yeah. like a review of yeah, Mothman no. Prophecies. Yeah, fuck, fuck that. It's Yeah, I yeah. think he was a very positive character in general and there was nothing scary about him or anything like that. Well, listen, um, if you're dead, injured, Cole, rest in peace. Yeah, but if, if you're still alive. And you hear this. <laughs> and you hear this, you know. Um, give us the scoop. Give us a scoop. But give it to Adam first because I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take a trip to Lanulos. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> um, I want to come too. But I want to go alone. I don't know. You. I'm getting motion sickness on uh, spaceships. Anyway, that's it. That's the episode. We'll be back next week for something totally crazy. I don't know what it is yet. Uh, but yeah, we're trying to get back on track. I feel like I say that every week. But here we are. We're live. Yeah. Working and all that crap. Join the Patreon. Reach out if you want the sticker, which I said there will be here in the next few weeks. Let me know. Um, if you want to contact us at all, Instagram, Weekly Creep, or just weeklycreep at gmail.com. Um, and if you want to hear me ramble on about this for like another five or six minutes, head on over to the Patreon. $2 a month. And yeah, I think that's about it. Bye. Bye. <laughs>